Before we dive into the episode, I wanted to let you know I have a free on-demand masterclass called Five Steps to Writing a Novel Without Letting Perfectionism or Procrastination Get in the Way. In this free training, I cover things like where perfectionism comes from, how it's directly linked to procrastination, and what you can do right now to start making real progress with your writing. I also talk about the problem with popular plotting methods and how they can do more harm than good, especially if you're brand new to writing. And last but certainly not least, I share some of the most common mistakes I see writers make so you can avoid them and make this the year you finish your novel. If this sounds like something you're interested in, you can sign up for free at savannagilbo.com forward slash training. One more time, that's savannagilbo.com forward slash training to get your hands on this free masterclass. Our content genres tell us how to construct a story. So they tell us things like what your protagonist wants and needs, because that's going to be, you know, different from a romance to a thriller right? The protagonist usually has a different goal. It's going to tell us what your protagonist stands to lose or gain. So what's at stake? Because again, looking at romance and thriller, very different. Um, And then it's going to tell us how to construct a general shape of our story because it tells us what key scenes we need to have, which I know we'll go to in a minute. Um, But it also tells us like the shape of the beginning, middle and end. And then they tell us, uh, content genres tell us what emotions our readers want to feel. So again, different from romance to thriller. Welcome to the Fiction Writing Made Easy podcast. My name is Savannah Gilbo, and I'm here to help you write a story that works. I want to prove to you that writing a novel doesn't have to be overwhelming. So each week, I'll bring you a brand new episode with simple, actionable, and step-by-step strategies that you can implement in your writing right away. So whether you're brand new to writing or more of a seasoned author looking to improve your craft, this podcast is for you. So pick up a pen and let's get started. In today's extra special bonus episode, I wanted to share an interview I did earlier this year with Emma Desi for her Be a Best Seller Summit. We talked about genre and how your story's genre can help you write a story that works. And specifically, we dove into the thriller genre and talked about how the key scenes and conventions of the thriller genre show up in The Silence of the Lambs. This was such a fun event to be a part of because it's always fun to talk about writing, but there were also 25 to 30 other speakers who all shared their insights, tips, and strategies on the writing, editing, and publishing process too. It was an awesome event, and I heard a lot of really fantastic interviews. The event is officially over, but if you want to check out the recordings, I'll post the link in the show notes for you. So without further ado, here is my interview with Emma Desi. Well, hello and welcome to Be a Bestseller 3.0, Structure Your Story for Success, an interview series helping you become the writer you want to be. And the purpose of this series really is to encourage you to start, finish and publish your story. And we've got amazing speakers coming in to talk to us about a whole range of subjects around writing and the writing life. And I know that your craft and your confidence is going to grow over our time together. And today I have the lovely Savannah Gilbo coming in to chat to us. Uh, Savannah is a certified developmental editor and book coach who helps fiction authors write, edit and publish stories that work. She's also the host of the top rated Fiction Writing Made Easy podcast, where she delivers weekly episodes full of simple, actionable and step by step strategies that you can implement in your writing straight away. And today we're going to be talking about genre and how to write a story that works. So welcome, Savannah. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Emma. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. 
Yeah, it's lovely. I'm really keen to talk to delve into this subject. Um, I wonder though if we could start with you just sharing a little bit about your own journey to writing, editing, and coaching. Sure. Yeah. So all the way back in the day when I was uh, a wee little girl, I loved books and I was always, you know, making up stories with my own dog. So me and my dog were the featured protagonists in my little journal. Um, fast forward to many years later, ended up in the corporate world, kind of didn't like that, didn't feel like it was feeding my soul. So um, decided to switch gears and become a certified editor because at first I thought that would help me with my own writing. And I thought, you know, what better way than to learn from professionals? And then got through the training, loved it, and decided this is what I want to surround myself with. So here I am, a certified editor and certified book coach, and there's no looking back. So <laughs> that's my story in a nutshell. Um, my writing, I write fantasy. So I'm working on my own um, young adult series, and, you know, that's going well. So yeah, that's me. Yeah, lovely. Thanks for sharing. It's a common sure. thing I'm seeing, actually. A lot of us um, wanting to write as children, but kind of being sucked into either the corporate world or into family life. Yeah. And then a little bit later, sort of coming back to it and thinking, no, this is something I could do that could earn me a living or certainly fulfill right. an inner need that uh, that I have. So, uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it's so fun because it's, um, you know, something we think is creative. So, oh my gosh, we can't make money doing that, but that's not the truth. So. Oh, yeah, very no, and cool. I'm learning that more and more. The more I see about, um, particularly within the indie world, but not only, but there's definitely the world, the publishing world as a whole seems to have changed. And uh, there's definitely ways of making a living in it now. So yes. it's great. Yeah. Yeah, it's wonderful. So I'm really interested to talk to you today because one of the things we were going to discuss was the difference between content genre and commercial genre. They're both important for writers, but I wondered if you could tell us the difference between the two um, and and where we should be headed when we're thinking about them. Absolutely. So there, it's kind of like we have to have these two things in mind as we start writing, editing, and publishing, right? So we tend to think about, okay, I'm writing a YA fantasy, right? Um, and that's what readers are going to see when they go into the bookstore. So we're used to thinking in these terms. But what we as writers need to know is what kind of adult, young adult fantasy are we writing? Is it going to be primarily a romance, primarily action? Is it going to be a mystery, something else? So that's what our content genre means. It's what type of content makes up that story. And, you know, sometimes they match. So if you're writing a romance, romance is going to be commercial genre and your content genre. But things like YA fantasy, adult fantasy, um, you know, adult science fiction, things like that. Readers know what they're getting in terms of setting, but not necessarily in terms of a story. And uh, this is important because as an editor, sometimes what I see is something that starts out as a YA fantasy, primarily focused on the romance, will then just completely change into a mystery. And as a reader, you're like, what just happened to this book I'm reading, right? So it's it's a way to just not only help us write a uniform story that works, but it also helps inform so many other pieces about our story too. Okay. Ah, right. I'm getting it now. So it's, um, so we're kind of knowing uh, the elements of the type of story, the, the elements that we need to include in a type of story, depending on the genre that we want to tell and yes. being being firm in that and so kind to stay on track rather than yes. oh let's put in a bit of this and a bit of that and a bit of this but actually um, 
um, keeping with that reader expectation of what a romance adventure might be or a paranormal mystery might be. Right. And if we do include multiple genres, that's totally fine because we're going to have subplots and different elements, but we want to almost have, I like to think about it as a hierarchy. So if I'm writing, say, action adventure, and there's going to be a romance subplot, I know that at, well, I can know at those key moments in time where, you know, the midpoint, we've probably heard these terms that all is lost. It needs to really revolve around that primary storyline. But back to something you said that's really important is that our content genres tell us how to construct a story. So they tell us things like what your protagonist wants and needs, because that's going to be you know, different from a romance to a thriller, right? The protagonist usually has a different goal. It's going to tell us what your protagonist stands to lose or gain. So what's at stake? Because again, looking at romance and thriller, very different. Um, and then it's going to tell us how to construct a general shape of our story because it tells us what key scenes we need to have, which I know we'll go to in a minute. Um, but it also tells us like the shape of the beginning, middle and end. And then they tell us, uh, content genres tell us what emotions our readers want to feel. So again, different from romance to thriller, excuse me. It also can help inform our theme. So, you know, thrillers say something about survival and bravery and things like that, where romance talks about the power of love. So we get all this information from just our content genres. But if you think of YA fantasy, it's like we know there's probably magic and maybe wizards and elves in a cool world, but what else, right? Mm -hmm. So is that then where the difference comes in between the content genre and the commercial genre? Yeah, because the commercial genre could be something like a cozy cat mystery, right? Like that one's a little bit more straightforward because we know it's a mystery, but that's what a, a reader is coming to the bookstore saying, I want a cozy cat mystery or I want young adult fantasy. Um, so I read a lot of sci-fi and fantasy as an example, and there are certain types I gravitate towards, you know, like I tend to like things with a heavy romance. I also like a lot of action adventure, um, but I might not gravitate immediately towards something that's, that reads like a horror story, even though I like horror, but it's just not my general flavor. Um, you know, so if you start thinking about the types of stories you read and the types of stories you write, even if you do write something like YA fantasy or science fiction, whatever, there's probably a type of story you read, mm-hmm. you know? So I don't know about you. What do you like to read? <laughs> I read uh, a lot of women's fiction, um, okay. which seems to be one of these slightly fuzzy genres. Um, and to date, that's what I've been writing as well is women's fiction. But I know so- that that can come as historical, that can come as contemporary, that can come as fantasy as yeah. well depending on the I guess the content that's involved in the journey that right. the character is going through yeah um, and that can have different flavors too so like you're saying it's women's fiction that's how you're going to market it right and that's mm-hmm. maybe what readers will know that word um, but that doesn't necessarily always tell you how to craft it no no right I mean I don't know if you've had trouble with that but yeah a little bit and so and I, maybe I'm going off topic here a little bit, but I do judge it on the cover. So right. I look at the the imaging that's on the cover and then I can think, OK, that's the type of women's fiction that I like. It's contemporary, a little bit. Right. I know there's going yeah. to be a mum in there who's having some midlife crisis of some sort. And she's right going to her <laughs> way through that. <laughs> so um, so for me, that's that's the sort of women's fiction that I enjoy. Um, but I do right. see a lot of women's fiction 
advertised, but it's very romance heavy. And so right. it's kind of fuzzy sometimes. And that's yeah. a fun thing you brought up about the covers because going back to something like fantasy, it's kind of the same thing when I go to a bookstore or I'm online, I'm like, okay, well, I know I want fantasy, but I don't want this type or I don't, or I do want this type. Right. So it's kind of like readers. We know what we're trying to get, but we don't know the word content genre as a reader. Right. Um, but as a writer, we need to know that because we need to give readers the flavor and that reading experience that they want. Mm-hmm. Cause like you said, you want something specific versus, you know, a really heavy romance. So yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah, no, it's, it's really interesting. I find it fascinating. The more I delve into it, the more the sort of psychology behind it all I find really interesting. Yeah. Um, so each content genre then, if we're looking at that, that has um, a sort of key set of scenes that we want to be looking at and some conventions that are within those content genres. Right. Um, so what should we be looking out for? How can we incorporate those into our story to make sure that it works? Sure. So let's talk about key scenes first, because that's probably the easiest. Um, And we'll look at the thriller genre as an example. I'll talk through some key scenes and then how that shows up in Silence of the Lambs, because I know that's a pretty popular story. Um, But basically, key scenes are the major events that move your protagonists from A to Z. And you've probably heard things like the first plot point, the midpoint, you know, all is lost moment, the climax, things like that. So basically what your genre tells you is what flavor those are going to be or how they're going to show up because the climax in a romance story is going to look very different than the climax in a thriller. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's it in a nutshell, but let's go into thrillers. So the first key scene that you're going to need is that there's a, some kind of inciting crime with at least one victim. And at this point, we should know, okay, there's a master antagonist behind this. I mean, we might not know who, but, you know, some someone out there is behind this. Mm-hmm. And so in Silence of the Lambs, the example here is that Catherine Martin, um, I believe she's a senator's daughter, she's gone missing, and the FBI thinks that she was probably kidnapped by a serial killer called Buffalo Bill. So that's our big inciting crime. He's a serial killer. That's a master antagonist, right? Yeah. So that's key scene number one. Um, The second key scene, which usually occurs around the end of act two, is a scene where the protagonist decides, I have to stop this this bad guy um, and save the victim because so whatever happens, it's usually some personal tie to the protagonist. So like if I don't step in, what's going to happen? And it kind of cements their way forward. Um, So in Silence of the Lambs, Clarice Starling and the FBI want to catch Buffalo Bill because if they don't, he's going to move on to other women, right? Not very good. Mm. Um, and Clarice has a personal tie to this because, A, she's asked to, right? You can't really say no to your boss. But also she wants to prove herself within the FBI, which is very male-dominated. Mm-hmm. Um, she also has this connection kind of starting with uh, Hannibal Lecter. So, you know, a great example of why it's personal for three reasons. Yeah. Um, so that's... You can see my puppy back there. Sorry. Um, he's four months old, so he's a little little devil. But key scene number three is this is usually around the midpoint. Um, so let's see. The I'm so sorry. Let me just get this real quick. Um, I had my notes up. 
Yeah, and I was just thinking about that, the relationship as well between Clarice and um, Hannibal. I mean, that's kind of, would you say that that's almost a subplot as well going on there? Because it's a more of a personal relationship. Yes. Just a, let's find the baddie relationship. For sure. Yeah, yeah. And it's very interesting because Hannibal is a great example of someone who he has his own agenda. You know, it might seem like on the surface, like, oh, he's, you know, it's all about Clarice, blah, 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 but he's got his own agenda. He wants to get out of there. So it's very interesting. And what's also interesting is he really helps push on Clarice's wound or kind of how she has to change, mm-hmm. you know, because um, he helps build her confidence in a way. And even though he's kind of a bad guy, he helps her out. So I don't know. It's interesting. Um, but okay. So back to these key scenes, key scene number three is usually around the midpoint And this is usually when the protagonist has a revelation or they learn, okay, this is what the antagonist wants and this is why they want it. So it ups the stakes and now it's going to feel even harder for them to go after the antagonist. So it's kind of a fun, I like to look at it in terms of questions. So at that last key scene, it was like, am I going to commit and go after them or not? And here it's like, I've learned new information. Am I still going to go after them or not? So it's escalating it and still asking that question. Um, And then, you know, like we keep talking about in something else, like a romance or a crime story or a horror story, these are going to feel different. So the the stakes are going to escalate at each of these key moments, but they're going to be flavored or colored in differently. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing I was thinking about, another word that we often hear around this is the idea of tropes. So our conventions are different to our tropes. Is that right? Yes. So the way I like to think about this is, and we'll go over conventions a little bit later if we have time, but conventions are usually like those, those character roles, the settings, the little micro events or things you need in addition to your key scenes. But uh, basically, you know, a lot of stories require that there is a mentor, but nobody's saying that your mentor has to have a gray beard and, you know, look a certain way and be really old. I mean, you could have a mentor that's a child or a dog, right? So tropes are the way that we color in the lines of those conventions. Right. Does that make sense? So like, yes, I've skipped. Yeah. Yeah. And that's okay. Um, But that's okay. So, uh, you know, a mentor is a convention, but the way that you deliver that is it could be a trope and tropes aren't necessarily bad. If, If it's something that's overused, you may want to question it because, it, you know, readers might think it's cliche. But on the other hand, readers might like it. Like, I love an old guy mentor that's a crazy wizard. I don't get tired of that. So anyway, but yeah, that's conventions. We can get there. Um, should we finish the key scenes? Yes, sorry. sorry. Okay, that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. You're just excited. Yes. Um, <laughs> okay, so let me go back because we didn't talk about the um, how this shows up in Silence of the Lambs. So the key scene number three, when they learn what the antagonist wants and why, uh, this is when Clarice realizes that Buffalo Bill wants to be a woman or he wants to present as a woman. Mm-hmm. So this is when Hannibal Lecter says, hey, you might want to look into people who have applied for sexual reassignment surgery. And that's her, like, she goes, okay, you know, what does this mean? Um, how does that change my goal? Things like that. And it's interesting because, And I told you I could talk about this all day, but it's interesting because the reader and Clarice don't necessarily know that this is a scene that delivers what the antagonist wants and why, 
but the author knows that, hey, I'm giving you a big clue about what the antagonist wants and why. And in hindsight, you're going to really understand. Like the stakes do feel raised, but in hindsight, you're really going to understand how they were raised. So it's kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay. So after that, number four is there's an all is lost moment. So this is a typical term we hear where it's like the worst thing ever happened to your protagonist. They feel like nothing's going to work out. Um, but in a thriller, this is when usually the stakes are up to get. And so they learn something or something happens and whatever happens as the author, you know, that this is going to move them to, toward their final confrontation with the antagonist. So it's locking them in. And again, readers might not totally see this on the surface. They may, depending on the type of story. Um, But in Silence of the Lambs, this is when Clarice learns that, oh my gosh, Hannibal's escaped. He's my mentor. I have to figure this out on my own, right? Um, And then shortly after she learns that, she learns that Buffalo Bill knew his first victim personally. So that's a huge clue that says, I can go back to his hometown you know, figure out what this means, why they have this relationship. Does this lead me closer to him or not? And if you remember, her boss has gone somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So she's committing to kind of that final confrontation, even though she doesn't know it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So pretty interesting. It is. Gosh, you know, talking about it again, I'm like, oh, I've got to go back and watch this. Yeah. <laughs> In a while. <laughs> Perfect for Christmas time, right? <laughs> So that's wonderful. So then, so really, we can see through this then that we've got our inciting incident or inciting crime. And with each of the plot points that you're giving us here, these key scenes that you're giving us, two, three, and four, end of act one, midpoint, and the all is lost. We're seeing then that rising action and clearly happening here because each time right. the stakes are being raised, the stakes are being raised until we get to that. Right. I'm guessing you're going to give us plot point um key scene five which is the climax with that yes right? yes and so I like how you just said it's the rising action because you know when you typically st- study story structure they'll give us you know kind of vague things that um you know in a story at the midpoint there is usually the stakes are raised and it's like okay cool some some writers can take that and run other writers are like I don't know what that means and I don't know what to do So these content genres really help us say, okay, in a typical thriller or in a typical romance, here's how that happens. And you kind of just want to escalate whatever is at stake. So in a thriller, it's usually like their life or their safety, right? So every time we escalate, we're saying Catherine Martin's life, maybe even the general population is getting more in danger. Clarice is certainly getting more in danger. So it's just, it's really interesting once you start seeing things in terms of content genre, mm-hmm. you know, because you're like, oh my gosh, this makes total sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It feels but, really clear, really delineated this nice kind of um, smooth uh, roadmap of how you how right. you keep that tension high and keep building it. Yeah. And it's, it's a fun way to keep us on track because I know me personally, and a lot of writers I work with, it, it's like you can start with the crime or something and then it's like, but this subplot with the romance is really cool. And then that becomes a bigger thing. And then by the end, you're kind of like, well, what did I just write? I don't even know what this is anymore. <laughs> so anyway, it's a fun, fun way to keep us on track. But key scene number five is the climax. So this is when the protagonist faces the antagonist and they either succeed or they fail. So they either stop them or they fail to stop them. 
And in Silence of the Lambs, you probably remember this is when Clarice follows Buffalo Bill into the basement and then he turns the lights out. Mm -hmm. So she's totally at the mercy of Buffalo Bill. And it's like, what's going to happen? Who's going to survive? Right. Because she's alone, too. And the FBI doesn't know she's here. So it's, very, it's, a, it's, yeah, a, it's one of the best endings ever, isn't it? And you just, yeah, I love it. The palpitation. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So yeah, that's number five. And then <clears throat> number six, excuse me, is when the we find out whether the protagonist has brought the antagonist to justice or not. So sometimes we see this on the page. Other times we might hear, you know, I'm just making this up, but your boss calls and says, Hey, the, you know, this guy got put away or whatever. Um, but basically it's what happened after that climax, because sometimes writers will end it right at the climax. Like once the high action's done, it's like, okay, it's done, but it's not, we need to kind of get that emotional payoff and say, okay, do I feel relieved that justice was delivered or am I still, you know, in this emotional zone of the climax where I was just in a basement and I'm really scared. Uh So in silence of the lambs, we know that Clarice shoots Buffalo Bill and he dies. And then Catherine Martin is safe. So Catherine's safe. Clarice is safe. The world is safe, but Hannibal Lecter is still out there. So (laughs) those are the key scenes. Yeah. I love that. And so uh, I wonder if I could just ask key key scene number three, that midpoint, I've heard, would that be the same as, you know, the, the mirror moment where we're kind of halfway through and suddenly the character either sees something about themselves reflected in the story or sees how they want to be going forward. Um, So would that be the same sort of thing, just a different way of talking about it? Yeah, I think all midpoints probably need to include that mirror moment. And something we didn't talk about earlier is this idea of external and internal genres. So a thriller is very external. It's the plot. And then there's going to be internal genres, like in Silence of the Lambs, Clarice goes through a worldview arc. So her worldview changes and her confidence changes, her place in the world changes as a result of the plot. So at this point where, you know, Hannibal at the midpoint, he's kind of like, Hey, you might want to look into people who have been denied sexual reassignment surgery. Um, they have this exchange. And, and after that is, I think shortly after that is when they have the or maybe it's during this moment. I can't remember off the top of my head, but there's a moment where she, the quid pro quo, right? So tell me something, I'll tell you something. And she has to face that darkness in her. So that's kind of that mirror moment for her is like, you know, am I going to delve into my insecurities and share them with this crazy man behind bars? Mm -hmm. Or am I going to not and jeopardize the case? So it's kind of like, she has to decide somewhere around that time, who am I going to be? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and then that that key scene six, would that be what we would sometimes call the denouement? That kind of yeah. rounding things off. And yep. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's and it's it's fun. A lot of writers I notice they go through that moment really quickly. But if you think about when you read, you know, I always think about romance because it's it's such an easy one to just feel when the couple gets together and you just kind of breathe that sigh of relief you kind of want to sit in that for a minute, you know, or even in a thriller after the high action, you want a minute to be like, okay, good order has been restored. I feel happy, you know? So it's really important because that's, those are the feelings readers want, you know, they, I mean, they want all the high action, but they also want to come down from that. 
Yeah, I guess that gives that feeling of completion. Okay, now yes. we've, we've tied everything mostly together. Um, lovely. And so, sorry, I jumped ahead before. Um, I wonder That's if okay. you mind me taking you back to the idea of conventions. Um, sure. what, what are the conventions that we should be kind of aware of? Right. So these are different for each of the genres too. And um, there is usually about 10 per genre. There, there could be a little more, could be a little less, but I have found for each of them, there's about 10. Um, and I can go through them quickly for the thriller genre. Um, we can just look at quick examples from Silence of the Lambs. Ooh, so yeah. number number one, we know that there's a crime with at least one victim. So we talked about that in the key scene. Um, and in Silence of the Lambs, this is Catherine Martin. Number two, the protagonist's goal is to stop the antagonist and save the victim. So a thriller or a thriller protagonist can't really be a I mean, no protagonist can be passive, but a thriller protagonist, their life is at stake. So on some level, so they can't really be passive. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is Clarice. She wants to help the FBI catch Buffalo Bill. So then the third thing you need is a an antagonist who seems intent on destruction at the expense of others, because without that, your thriller is not going to work. Yeah. Um, and in Silence of the Lambs, that's Buffalo Bill. He he's not going to stop killing until maybe his project is complete. We don't really know if he would stop after that. Um, Number four is that there's a MacGuffin and a MacGuffin is just something specific that the antagonist wants. So in Silence of the Lambs, Buffalo Bill wants to create a woman suit. Uh, Sorry, everybody, (laughs) but he wants to create a woman suit because he wants to look and feel like a woman. So that's his specific thing that, it's not very important to the plot necessarily, but it's like, he's, he's only going forward to achieve that thing. Mm-hmm. So it's, it is important in a way. Um, number five is that there are clues and red herrings. So clues are usually true things that show the protagonist. Here's the right way to go. Red herrings are usually things that are not true, but they kind of distract or mislead the protagonist. So in Silence of the Lambs, Clarice is given a lot of clues by Hannibal. Um, She's also given some MacGuffins just by things the FBI uncovers that who knows if they're real or not. Okay. Okay. So that one's pretty fun. Um, And then number six, quickly, there are usually multiple lives at stake. So you're not writing a thriller unless there are multiple lives at stake including your protagonist at some point doesn't mean that has to be the case the whole way through, but we need that, you know, uh, sense of danger. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so in silence of the lambs, I mean, there's a serial killer on the loose and we know through the plot that he Buffalo bill typically kills his victims within three days. So there's a nice ticking clock there too. And actually that's something else that, that, that midpoint does usually is it, stamps that ticking clock or it starts it. So just something to keep in mind. Sometimes it's a little earlier, sometimes a little later, but there always needs to be that ticking clock, which is convention number seven. And the reason for that is it just, you know, packs on the pressure. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay. So the number eight is that there's usually some kind of speech in praise of the antagonist that through maybe a newspaper article, conversation, uh, TV broadcast, something like that, where it's the reader is being shown, look how powerful, look how strong and look how smart this person is. Okay. So it's not going to be easy for the protagonist to go up against this. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and in Silence of the Lambs, this is there's a scene where Jack Crawford and Clarice are riding together in a car and they're looking at the case file. And he's kind of like, you know, what do you think? What's your interpretation? And she's, you know, talking about him and she's saying, you know, he's he's in middle age, 30s and 40s. He has real physical strength combined with, I think she says, an older man's self-control. So she's kind of talking about him like, you know, he's really good at his his thing. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to be hard for us to get. So, yeah, I think that one's fun. It's fun to to figure out how you're going to deliver that if you're writing a thriller. <laughs> yeah. And presumably, too, it kind of adds a dim- it, it humanizes that anti- that antagonist as well, gives them a more you see more into them and see them in a more um, that right. light and shade because they've got something good about them, too, or something strong about them. Right. And it, it it's fun because it could be a, a thing that humanizes them as well as something that makes them really terrifying at the same time. And something that comes to mind, because this is a convention of the horror genre as well. And I remember there's it's funny because Michael Myers in Halloween, he's he's less human than Buffalo Bill, I would say. And we hear about his backstory so we hear that he was he like I think saw one of his siblings get murdered. Um he was just horribly treated as a child. So it's only you you like understand more about them and then you're like, but wait, that makes them even scarier. <laughs> so it's fun. I I think it's fun. Um number nine is that there's a shapeshifter character. So this is somebody who says one thing and does another. And this one's fun because Buffalo Bill literally wants to change his shape. He wants to be a woman or present as a woman. And then Dr. Chilton, the guy who kind of runs the place that Hannibal's at, he presents as a helper to Clarice. He's, you know, oh, let me get you back there. Let me do this for you. But really he's got his own agenda. So he's kind of a shapeshifter. And then Hannibal is a shapeshifter in a way because we expect that he's going to be a terrible person. And in a sense he is, but he also helps Clarice. Mm -hmm. So kind kind of of interesting. like a... um a creepy kind of mentor character as well. It's almost like totally her under his wing and thinks I'll, I'll make you better. I'll, I'll improve. Yes. You. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's, it's really cool. Um, and then number 10, finally, there's usually a false ending that involves a twist or a surprise. So this one's awesome in silence of the lambs. It's when uh, Jack calls Clarice and he's like, Hey, we're about to close in on Buffalo bill over in Ohio. And she's like, okay, great. You know, I'm over here following up this lead on James gum. And then she knocks on the door and we see Jack Crawford knock on the door at the same time. And the house that Jack's at is empty. So we, as a reader and viewer, we're like, oh, he's closing in on Buffalo Bill. Surprise, he's not. And Clarice is at the real house. Okay. So it's kind of a Ooh. fun, false, false ending. I know it gives me goosebumps. I love it. <laughs> but yeah, that those are the conventions in a nutshell. So uh, characters, settings, little micro events, like a speech and praise of the villain that help us write a book of our genre choice. Yeah, this is great. Thank you so much for going into these. I'm sure. getting a bit conscious of time, but um, yes, I know we wanted to talk a little bit, uh, um, and you let me know what you 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 think we've got time for. But uh, looking at the theme a little bit about how genre content can inform the theme, um, right? And and interestingly, yes, the emotions that you want the reader to have as they are going through the story. And maybe we could use um, maybe an action story here to illustrate that, if that's possible. Sure. Yeah. So um, in an action story, 
we think about what readers want to feel, right? They want to feel excited. They want to feel kind of worried or anticipatory over whether the protagonist will succeed or fail. We kind of just, we want to be um, excited is the best word I think. Right. Mm. And we also want to feel vicariously through the protagonist, what it's like to have to be brave, to have to sacrifice, to have to be heroic. So that's what an action story will give us if we deliver it properly. And then the theme. So what's at stake in an action story is life and safety. So the theme expresses, okay, what does it take to preserve life and safety? So does it take bravery? Does it take sacrifice? Does it take bravery and sacrifice and, you know, accepting your inner, the thing that you think is a wound that's actually your strength? Does it take um, getting over something in your past as well as being heroic? So it's kind of like, okay, if you're setting out to write an action story, what do you have to say about survival and safety and sacrifice? Mm -hmm. And then that's what you want to show through your story. So what does it take to survive? Or if you, if it's cautionary, what do you, what can you do wrong that will result in survival not happening? Okay. So yeah, it's almost like I always encourage people, if you know the topic or the general theme, like survival or, you know, in a romance, that's going to be love. If you know the general theme, journal about it, do half page a page and say, okay, what am I, what am I saying with this? Right. Cause in your genre tells you, here's kind of the realm you're working. And if you're writing this type of story now, what do you think about that? Mm-hmm. Yes. I, and it's important to have that up, up front, isn't it? To kind of at least have an idea. So that too also helps um, kind of give you this guiding star for your story. Yes. So you don't go too off track. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, what's nice about this genre framework is that, you know, it gives you all the things you need and then you can be creative within that box. So, you know, I, I like that. I think it helps me be more creative. And I've seen a lot of writers I work with, they're like, you know, I actually feel like I get to have fun because I'm not trying to figure everything out. And, you know, I know what needs to happen here, here, and here. I need to include a speech and praise the villain or, you know, a romance, maybe a first kiss or whatever it is. Then it's like, okay, well, how does that show up with my characters and how can I put a spin on that? You know, it becomes fun again and less stressful. Yeah. And yeah. Yes, it does. It does. Oh, I love it. Um, I, I do need to, because I'm conscious of time. Oh, my goodness. Sure. But um, sure. you do have a, a nice gift for our listeners, which is very generous. And you've got the genre quick start guide, how to choose yes. the best genre for your novel. And would yes. you tell us just a little something about it? Sure. So this is just like you said, a quick start guide. It's going to walk you through some of the high level stuff we talked about today. Um, you know, what your genre can do for you. There's a few questions and exercises that will help you choose your genre, your content genre. So, you know, a lot of people have trouble. Am I writing a thriller or a mystery? Am I writing a thriller or an action story? So this quick start guide will kind of give you the overview and just help you make those decisions in a more informed way. So, yeah, and you can get, do you want me to say the link? Uh, no, no, that's okay. I'll put the okay. link at the bottom and make sure that everybody gets that. Um, and Perfect. Just click straight right through to it. That's going to be such a helpful tool for so, so many people because it is something I see um, in discussion a lot uh, about, you know, what is it I'm writing? I know the sort of story right. I want to tell, but when it comes to kind of not even just writing it, but beyond that as well, when it comes to kind of marketing it, how do I know that I'm going to choose the right genre and give my reader and that will attract readers? 
um, right and hit all the things they want so a hugely yeah useful. thank you so much savannah i've really enjoyed yeah, that thank you fast thank enough. you i was trying to get my notes down <laughs> yeah thank you for having me and i feel like we could talk about this stuff all day so i don't know i hope everybody liked it and i hope uh i hope everyone's writing goes really well thank you thanks so much yeah thank you so that's it for today's show as always i want to thank you so much for tuning in and showing your support If you want to check out any of the links I mentioned in this episode, you can find them over at savannahgilbo.com forward slash podcast. And if you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to the show because there's going to be another brand new episode coming out next week. If you're an Apple user, I'd really appreciate it if you took a few seconds to leave a quick rating and review. Your ratings and reviews tell iTunes that this is a podcast that's worth listening to. And in turn, that helps this show get in front of more fiction writers just like you. So that's it for today's show. I'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Until then, happy writing.